flying. No, you're not. You're totally not flying at least for another two minutes. Okay. Oh my goodness. Hey, I'm sorry to uh, disturb you. It's very, uh, very. We're loud. We're having too much fun. Yes, yes. Like, I, I, I wish I was no that's okay but we'll try we'll try not to annoy each other <laughs> all right <laughs> so inside laughing i guess <laughs> i'm todd lyons i'm natalie crandall i'm valeria sosa and i'm heather laird and this is the innovate on demand podcast When you join the public service, it can be tempting to feel like the person that you were before, or the person that you still are at home, is different from the person now employed by the government. But remembering that person, getting back in touch with them, and then connecting them with the other travelers inside and outside of the public service is the root of meaningful innovation. Thank you, Heather. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I currently work at the Canada School of Public Service, and I'm super excited about that. It's a great place to work. And I got there through a long story that started with hitchhiking to the Middle East. That's how <laughs> I started on this journey. That's very interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like telling us that story? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very curious to see how. <laughs> I know, right? Not where you were. I know, school. not where you were thinking. Yeah. I would start yeah. with in terms of the Canada School. Yeah, I was. I was hitchhiking to get different perspectives. That's why I left my community, and I had read Jack Kerouac's On the Road, and I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go on the road, and I I went places that I had and learned about people that I I had never I would never have learned about if I had stayed home. Where um, were you working at the public service at the time? I wasn't yet working at the public service, but when I was in the Middle East, I got connected to some groups that were doing community organizing. Like under conflict, how do you give people the chance to shape their lives and shape their worlds? Like corrupt mayors, how do you get the garbage picked up under the context of all the things you think about the Middle East in the news? And I was really inspired by that. Like, oh, right, it starts with your neighbor and it starts with getting to know someone you've never met. And working with them and figuring out how to do that. Like, oh, we'd like a clean playground. And that person may or may not have killed my cousin. Where do we start? And from that work, I was like, okay, well, how do you do that? And one of the things that stuck out from working in that context was the connection between lawyers and social workers. It's like, so you could start on the ground in neighborhoods but often it sort of stayed in neighborhoods. And it was the lawyers who had a big system perspective and were sort of up like working universities and working in governments and had that kind of big picture. But often it meant that they had no idea what was going on in the neighborhoods. And the social workers sort of provided that link where they had the context and often they had some university education and sort of had a sense of how to connect into the bigger picture. But they were right there, like... Okay, cool. Single mom, 12 kids, trying to get literate, wants the playground to be safe. <laughs> and, and so they could bring those stories back into the bigger picture. So I started 
figuring out like, okay, well, how do we help those people get their work done? And I ended up coming back to Canada and working in the nonprofit sector. So like, okay, people organizing in neighborhoods, like how do they do it? They start nonprofits. Okay. So how do we help those people get their work done? And through that work, I ended up hearing about the government. <laughs> and people would kind of talk about the government. And I was like, why can't we do that? And people would say, the government. And you kind of say, really? Is it what's the government then? Like, what's what's that all about? And so I got curious about kind of breaking down that big bad government and sort of what in social innovation terms people would call the powerful stranger. Sort of like this bucket you kind of put some of your tricky problems into. And government often stands for that hard thing you can't move. So I wanted to go inside. Go inside, as people <laughs> on the outside would say, right? Yeah, and that's so that's how I ended up that's how I ended up working in the government of Canada. So how is your perspective on what that government, government. is <laughs> changed <laughs> since you've been on the inside? Or has it? Since yeah. she became a Trojan horse. Since, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of us now. Um, it's neat. It's I sort of wear I wear two hats. Like as you can tell, I sort of I sometimes still take off my government hat and I think I put my nonprofit sector hat back on or I put my sort of community organizing hat back on. Um and I, I still have a lot of beef with the government, the government. But I also am so She used air quotes. I used air quotes. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I'm also so delighted to find so many passionate and wonderful people doing amazing work in the government. I used air quotes again. And and it's such a complex field and it's such a complex set of people doing doing wonderful things. And, and it's a good reminder that in the same way that people can bash on business, there are good businesses and bad businesses. And people trying to do all kinds of wonderful things through that sector and government also has many good and bad things going on. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's changed. It's changed a lot. I'm appreciative of all of the quiet things that government is a part of. Mm -hmm. And if I were to use sort of the big I innovation word, I would say that it's really humbled me in remembering that no sector gets to claim that word. Anyone who's claiming the innovation word, like... You got to look with a side eye and wonder why they're claiming that word. Because all innovation, I think, happens between it, it happens between it happens between the things that are named. So, it's what do you mean? Can happen. you expand on that? I just I don't I've never seen a successful case of innovation that people point to and sort of say this was an important moment of change or important lever in in making a difference that happened cleanly in one organization or one sector. So it's never this particular company or this particular department in the government of Canada made this change. It's usually, well, this person had drinks with that person, or that person happened to live in a neighborhood with that person, or that person worked in one organization and then took their expertise to another organization. One of my favorite examples of this is the internet, like a huge, messy, complicated story of government grants and people who started companies and then took their ideas to other companies they started and, you know, worked for the military and, you know, made IT in their basement and traded things online that they weren't allowed to trade at work and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's the messy, it's the in-between spaces, I think, where innovation really happens. Hmm. 
So as a, as a social innovator, what do you think are some of the obstacles and maybe some of the advantages to working within the public service? That's a great question. I think it's sometimes harder to move in governments because there's a really established way of doing things and there's a really strong and often beautiful value set around keeping things the way they are and being in service to a set of rules. And that can be really, really important for stability. We're smiling at each other. Um, but sometimes stability is the opposite of innovation. So if you can imagine, and this is a super geeky innovation thing that we could put a picture of in the podcast, but if you imagine the eco-cycle, which is actually one of the most useful tools that I've taken away from the sort of social innovation as a more formal field, is there's kind of this front loop where if you imagine a forest, it starts with tiny little trees and it gets bigger and bigger until you have mature trees. And we can sort of imagine that like, okay, you water the trees, they get bigger. Awesome. Like we're doing great work. We're building a forest. And that's the kind of work that government is great at. Okay. We have a little program. How could it go all across Canada? We have something that works for this population. How could it work for that population? We tweak this, tweak that, make it a little better sort of incremental improvements. But then there's this whole back loop where like the forest burns <laughs> and you have that horrible, scary part where the, everything goes up in flames and then you have ashes and little trees grow out of the ashes and, and species sort of start to thrive. And that's equally important to forest health. And that's so the back loop, if you, again, I know we're on radio so the visual maybe isn't helpful <laughs> but it's an infinity loop so there's a front loop and then that back loop is is equally important to to how systems work and so in government the front loop is really strong so there's a forest to work with like there are resources but sometimes we don't know how to burn don't we <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so this is one of my observations when people sort of from the outside ask me, like, what's it like in the government? <laughs> one of the things I say is that I expected it to be relatively stable and, and pros and cons of that. Like there are resources to move. There's huge amounts of resources locked up in the government of Canada, and many of them are being used for great things and some things drive me crazy. Um, but I hadn't expected there to be such a continual, and I will say somewhat provocatively useless, churn. There's so much churn. Every reorg, every retitling, every shift of people. We're all nodding vigorously. Everyone's sort of rolling their eyes and like looking to the left and thinking of their horror stories. Like everybody's been burned by these stories. And it's because it's structural change and what in, in sort of social innovation terms people would call looking at complicated problems and looking at complicated solutions when actually we have complexity. So the difference there would be we're looking at like, oh my goodness, this rocket failed to launch. Let's rewrite the manual. Let's reshift sort of these parts of the machine. Again, reshifting people. Like in government, the machine is mostly people. So we're reshifting people. When actually the problem is more like raising a child. There's never going to be a manual that works. Like manuals can be helpful, but the complexity of that relationship is a feedback loop between like you do something, your kid does something, or anyone who has a partner, anyone who is a child and has been raised by people can understand. Like you're never going to have a book that says how to make my mom not be insane or like, how, you know, whatever, like how to make my partner do what <laughs> I want. Book. Like those things aren't real. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, so, so I was surprised. I've been surprised in government that, 
there is so much churn and people sort of hold it close to their hearts because they get burned and get passed to a new manager who has never read their resume and didn't ask them what they want to do. And it's like, now this, now your job is to do this. And they say, but I didn't, like, that's not my passion. That's not my skill set. Who are you? It's sort of hard. It's like being asked, like, hey, this is your new family. And it feels weird because it's not real. It's not based in a relationship. Yeah, so I'd like to see, I'd like to see that. I, I guess to bring it back to innovation, one of the things that I find amazing and sort of sad about it, some, and why I'm passionate to be at the Canada School working on making some of these things maybe a little bit different, is that change, that bad change, the sort of reorg style change, it actually, it makes people sort of, I think, scared of good change. Like when we're talking about growing plants or, you know, change changing up our systems, people think like, oh my God, I don't want another reorg. Like, don't give me another new manager with a job that isn't something that's going to actually work for me instead of seeing change as something that can actually be really a positive. Like people don't see change as, a, as often as an enabler in government where it's like, actually, this is your chance to shine. Like that thing you've been doing off the side of your desk for 10 years, like now's your chance to try it. People think, oh my God, like this is another reorg. Uh, I don't want innovation. So mm -hmm. I'm rambling a little bit. But. No, no, that's okay. Uh, it's interesting. And it also made me think of one thing that sort of struck me when I first came into the public sector was I felt... And what I'm about to throw out there is probably not feasible at all, the way I'm saying it, but it struck me that management and leadership and executives were kind of, were promoted or elevated because they were subject matter experts. But the management function, the leadership function, the organizational function, all of that knowledge and expertise was just sort of it was fourth, fifth consideration. Like it just sort of always kind of sat on the sidelines. I don't necessarily think that's the case now. I think we are placing much more focus on it and it's legit focus. I think there was a time where it was more like lip service and just sort of having to go through the motions. But I think now there's actually a realization that there's value in, in those qualities. And that's what helps change go smoothly mm -hmm. and actually improve and make things better as opposed to making things worse. So I'm happy that I, I personally feel like the, the direction um, is changing in that sense, but it definitely really struck me hard when I first came into the public sector. I could see that it was apparent like within the first couple of months. It was surprising, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like the, the relationships and the people matter so much. And one of the things I'm excited about as sort of a both and frame now is how do we keep the great things about the value set that the public service is built on, like transparency and fairness and, and what's that word <laughs> when you're neutral, <laughs> like apolitical sort like of neutrality. Yeah. Neutra neutrality. Uh, I don't know. What's that word for neutral? <laughs> yeah, there's neutrality. a word for neutrality, whatever. But, but thanks. That. I'll be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> So that value set and relationship-based, heart-based work. And I think when I sometimes when I have these conversations with colleagues in government, people get their backs up and they sort of say like, oh, well, relationships is like, that's the old boy cl boys club. Like, that's why we set up this fairness and transparency stuff, because relationships is like graft. And, you know, people think of it as a bad thing. And it can be. 
but no relationship is also a damaging and bad thing. Like we're humans. And if we ignore that, you know, to our peril, I think like no one is actually objective. So we can't, I think, pretend that we are. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about that. Like, how do we get to a place in the public service where we have that fairness and we can come back to the hard work and the relationship work where you say, okay, like, welcome to your new position. I read your resume. I want to look you in the eye and see, like, how can we work together? How can we use your skills? And how can we do that not only in the public service, but with the other people in this country, people on this land that we need to to work with? So if you're looking at a complex issue like you know, parks or health or, you know, pick your field. Almost all of the things that the government has to, has, has to do are, are very complex. Who, who's our, who's our ecosystem? Like who are the people that are affected by this work? Who are other people that have a part of this puzzle, whether it's officially mandated to a province or whether it's a municipality with bylaws or whether it's a company that is, is going to be impacted by this and has has a has a role to play in shaping the picture. Like, how do we work with all of those people in relationship? And I think, I don't know who the quote is from. Maybe now we'll know. <laughs> a, a desk is a very dangerous place from which to view the world. And I really deeply believe that hmm. that's true. Not only the physical I really desk, wish I knew. I re- yeah, someone Googling <laughs> will find it. But, but yeah, so that's, and that's, so what I'm doing now um, with Nat and other folks at the CSPS is how do we open up doors and whether it's literally hitchhiking or way less risky versions of that, where you're walking into someone's world, like how do we build up those connections and kind of give us the, the tools to, or like the relationship, like how, how do we open it up so that we're working with the people that if we don't work with them, we're sort of imposing on them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that's where we get this idea of people on the outside, like raging against the government, because if we're, if we're not out working with people, we're faceless folks in cubes. And I think that's where we have to get past this idea that the only way to be fair and do our work as civil servants is to be faceless bureaucrats in cubes. And that I think, I think we're past. Have you read that book, that. The Cube People? Written no. by an Ottawa public servant. That's really great. Yeah. I will read it. You should look it up. Okay, it's well, pretty good. That's yeah. great. <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, I, just one more thing. As you were speaking, it just reminded me of uh, recently I just read this story about uh, one of the parks in northern Canada that worked with an indigenous community and one of the elders there to, it took them quite a few years to sort of change the the way the visitor experience um, for this national park and um, or provincial park. I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure which one it was, but um, essentially they asked the community and the indigenous community what stories they felt were important to be shared, what how they mm. wanted individuals to experience um, the park, and it mm. turned into a welcome to my homeland. Wow. Um, experience, um, which was really cool. And it just, like, as you were speaking, it just reminded me of that because it just shows a different way of working with with people outside of your circle to create something completely new. Yeah, totally. And it's just, it just brings us abundance. Like that's, so I, I didn't actually answer what's wonderful about working in the government other than being able to work with amazing, passionate and talented people. And it's, it's, there's so much abundance. Even if you just Google the annual budget for the government of Canada, it's like, wow, even in only monetary terms, we have so much to work with that other sectors would in some ways, I don't know, kill for seems very strong, but like, it's a huge asset that we have to work with. Like, yeah. Um, 
And so, so I'm excited about how we can unlock and match those assets with, with the abundance in, in other, in other parts. People hear you say that, will they try and take it back? (laughs) (laughs) Well, but it's not about like, it's, it's, I think it's about, and, and to your story, like what you're, what made me think of it, that statement in your story is we, like the government of Canada has assets in our, in our knowledge, in our people and, and in our resources and if we look to others and what abundance they have, like those stories, that perception of the land, that knowledge of the land, we get somewhere new by matching those assets instead of hoarding our assets or thinking them as something that other people might take away or or that people will see the government of Canada as a purse. And I get it. Like when I'm in my my other circles, I have to remind people like I'm not a money bag. Like I'm here as a public servant. That doesn't mean like that doesn't mean I can just give out money. That's not actually how it works. But so I was I was with a group of wonderful social innovators in Alberta this week and air quotes again, air quotes again, (laughs) and talking about the idea of people exchange and the program that I'm working on. So how might we create ethical, appropriate, meaningful pathways for engagement? in and outside of the public service. So inviting people in as teachers, sending folks from the public service on exchange to other organizations in a simple and fluid, uh, in a simple and fluid way. And someone sort of said, oh yeah, I've worked, I've worked for the government and it was really hard. And she told a story of working up in the North and seeing that kids weren't getting to school and that the parenting cycle meant that in her perspective, it would work better if school started at 11, 11 a.m. It just, that would unlock a number of the blocks of kids not actually getting there and not getting breakfast and all this stuff. And she remembered, I remember talking to civil servants at that time who said, but what will Ottawa think? And that was kind of her summary <laughs> of sort of what you call the cube people. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really interested in, although it seems small, I'm really interested in unlocking those moments saying, great, actually, let's pick up the phone and find out what Ottawa would think, because it's a person that you know, and be able to have that conversation about how we can start to tweak tweak those things. And, and I'm excited about the fact that you're doing this kind of podcast, because innovation doesn't have to be something big and huge and grand. It actually starts with those little moments of answering that question, like, oh, what does Ottawa think? What would it look like if we started this program three hours later? Is it written that we can't do that? Like, let's just try and see, like, what is the risk? And and moving away from a frame of, like, thinking that the only way to to enact our role as civil servants is to follow the rules and think more like, what was the principle? Like, why did we set those rules in place? What's important about the program? How do we match the spirit of it? And then how do we bring those assets of, okay, this is what we were trying to do. These are why the rules are in place, like to make sure that everyone gets to school and say, okay, well, if the goal is for everyone to get to school, does it matter if these kids start three hours later? Can we, you know, and and starting to sort of unpack the context. So, Heather, in the time that I've known you and worked with you, I see you consistently living that philosophy of people first. Um, so when I'm thinking about some of the things you said today, I feel like I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your project. Um, because I feel like that is one of the things that you are doing to bridge that gap between the outside and the inside. And I thought it might be really interesting to hear a bit more about that. Thanks, Nat. That's a very practical point. I appreciate it. Yeah. So the program that I'm, I'm sort of working on right now is, notionally called people exchange right now and there are two parts the part that i want to focus on here is called the paper plane exchange and the 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 goal of the people exchange is to 
sort of harvest or gather insights from the world and bring those to bear on the public service. And you'll note that I didn't actually say the government of Canada there, because I think the public service is much broader and wherever we get great ideas applied for public service is a good thing. Um, but the specifics of the program is to say, instead of going to a conference um, or instead of going to a classroom, what might it look like if we included experiential learning in our, in our learning plans, in the discovery, when we're doing program development, in whatever parts of our work we're talking about, and to take that little moment, a day, two days, a week, two weeks, a month, six months, but even starting with something small like a day or two to say, okay, actually, have you done a systems map? Who's in your system? Who are your stakeholders? Who, who are your clients? I don't love that term, but who are the people that you're serving? Do you know them? Do you know what their contexts are? Have you w literally walked in their worlds? And if you haven't, if you've never been inside a municipal hall, if you've never filled out the paperwork you're asking someone else to fill out, this is your chance to, to go and do that. And so the paper plate exchange is a way to say, let's get on and have that experiential learning in the simplest way possible. So in a conference, often that takes an email to a manager, maybe one or two forms, hopefully no more than that. Um, let's make sure that experiential learning can be can be just as easy. And so the paper plane exchange is a way to to do that. There are four steps. Do some discovery and and work. So understanding your system and yourself and some of your learning goals. Um, get matched, and that's where I'm I'm here to help. Go and have a wonderful exchange. And then the fourth is is a little bit of aftercare and 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 learning and sharing. So to make sure how does that change your work? What do your colleagues need to know? How would you like to bring that into bring that back to your kind of home context? So yeah, happy to help. That sounds pretty cool. Um did that has it already started? Has it already launched? Has it sort of. It has indeed. Uh-huh. It's launched. I have a number of folks I'm delighted to be working with in prototypes. So we have some folks that have gone on a paper plane exchange. Mm -hmm. Can you give me just an example of one? Yeah. What is a good example of one? Actually, this is a... Re mm. <laughs> I'm looking at Nat. What's a, good, what's a good example for this program? Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give two. One is an individual who came from a nonprofit into a Government of Canada lab. Mm-hmm and participated in a two-day lab process. And so that was a chance for him to see what folks in the government of Canada were doing related to his work. And it was a chance for that lab to bring in another perspective into their ecosystem work. So they weren't only looking at civil servants, they also had the perspective of someone, of someone on the ground. Um, another example would be actually a civil servant who wanted to learn more about network weaving and sort of connecting people and, and sort of stakeholder work and some of those, like, how do you connect the dots? Um, and I was able to pair him with a nonprofit that specializes in that kind of work that happened to be in his hometown. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was able to, to build, build on that skill set and understand how that looked in another context and get mentorship in that area. Very cool. So, huh. Yeah. I did not know about this. So thank you, Heather, very much. Um, that was very interesting and a lovely chat. Any final thoughts on uh, on what we discussed and what you shared with us today? I guess thank you both for having me. Um, I think, I guess the final thought, if I had to like wrap it up, like what does hitchhiking have to do with the government of Canada anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be that it is, it's about getting out into the world. And, and walking in someone else's shoes, and we can use all these fancy innovation, social innovation, ecosystem map, 
you know, you can put all the fancy words on it, but really, if you take a minute and close your eyes and say, who's someone I haven't met? What's something that might make me a little uncomfortable? How can I step to the edge of my world and into someone else's? That's, to me, where innovation really starts. And I would encourage everyone listening to the show to take a minute to do that. And then let me know how it goes and see if I can help you through the paper plane exchange. I love this. I feel like it was Heather's guide, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the, the Public Service. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Public Service. <laughs> yes, I love that. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Heather. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you. You've been listening to Innovate On Demand, brought to you by the Canada School of Public Service. Our music is by Grapes. I'm Todd Lyons, producer of this series. Thank you for listening. Thank you.